Oh, well, good morning. My name is LT. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Church by the Bridge. And uh, as we come to God's word, I'm going to pray for us. So let's pray. Father, please open our hearts this morning. Please engage our minds. And please make our wills ready for obedience to you. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've seen the new NAB ad, the National Australia Bank. Uh, the, The new ad that has the slogan, more than money. More than money. And of of course, it's a fuller slogan than that because they're saying there's something that's more than money. What do they say? They say life is more than money. But the, the big phrase is more than money. And you think it's a little bit interesting, isn't it, that a bank is actually saying something is more than money because if it wasn't for money they actually wouldn't exist. And so, for in fact, for any bank, and particularly, well, any bank really, um, life for them is money. But they're appealing to something that, we, that resonates with us, doesn't it? Because we all would agree, I'm sure, here this morning, that life is more than money. It's like, of course it is. You don't have to think about that. Life is more than money. There's, there's more to life than just money. And so the bank's playing on that phrase and, well, what you might say is, is a truth. But, but I wonder, though, um, we might think that in theory, but in life, I think something seems to say something different than that. That it would seem, by the words of Jesus that actually the very opposite could be true of us. That although in theory we might believe and are convinced that life is more than money, practically our lives can tend to and we can be in the danger of our lives looking like it is about money or possessions or position or our postcode. And so as we come to this passage in the words of Jesus, they are very confronting words, speaking about a reality that I think necessarily resonates with all of us who have money, who have possessions. And so Jesus says something about money and our possessions and our acquiring of them and then our attitude to what we acquire. So, do our lives actually show we believe that life is more than money? Do our lives actually show that life is about more than just getting more and more and more? I think that's the challenge for us this morning. The the key words of Jesus in this passage are the words... Watch out and be on your guard against all greed because one's life is not 
in the abundance of his possessions. So we're going to think about this collection of words from Jesus, thinking about what really is a warning, the principle that comes with that warning, this parable that Jesus tells that reinforces his message, and then we're going to think about the punchline to finish with. So firstly, the warning, and it's, it's clear, isn't it? It's be on your guard. But you notice where the teaching comes from. Jesus is interrupted. There's a big crowd, thousands. Someone manages to make themselves to the front of the crowd and ask Jesus a question there. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so it's that question that provokes Jesus' following teaching. Now, you might think, okay, that seems like a reasonable question from this guy. But it's only when Jesus fires with some words that there's something obviously behind the question. And only Jesus would know that. And that is, this question, Jesus makes the diagnosis that it's coming from greed. And, well, it wouldn't be hard to come to that conclusion, would it? Because if you've lived life long enough, Often when there's death and then there's a will, what often follows is greed. And around that, disharmony and dysfunction in family. If there's anything that provokes that, if it hasn't existed before, often is a death and a will and the dividing of that will. So this guy, I think, is being kind of very human, if you like. And really, I don't think he wants Jesus to be fair and just and make sure they get their right bit. I think he's just wanting Jesus to say, make sure I get what I haven't got that I want and I want more than what I've got. But Jesus responds, you know, you know as I think about that, I think about my grandma actually when we'd go to her house uh, when she was getting older. If there was something we liked in her house, not so much me but maybe my sisters and my mum, what she'd get was a band-aid and she'd put it on the bottom of the item and write uh, someone's name on it who liked that item. I think she was trying to get ahead of the fight over the things after she died. Quite, quite practical, isn't it? In light of what we hear in this question. Work it out before you die. Because that's what comes. But notice Jesus turns to a warning, uh, which is meant to be on the basis of the diagnosis he's done of this man's heart. And the warning is, watch out and be on your guard. Watch out, be on your guard against all greed. Uh, Greed. The, The desire to have more. And more. And more. And more. It's fuels and feeds itself, doesn't it? Greed, that's, that's what greed is. It's not just you have the desire to have more, and once you've got that more, that stops. Actually, the fact that you've got more, because you're greedy, that feeds the greed, and so you want more and more and more. And it, and it may not be just that we want more. It may be that we want better, or that we want the latest, or nicer. So I think you want to broaden the definition to those sort of things as well because you know your heart and I know my heart and it's not just more sometimes, it's better, not the latest, just because I can. 
That's what greed is. So Jesus is addressing that heart desire of wanting more, greed. But notice he says it's a danger. Having more is dangerous. And I don't think we think of having more as dangerous. And we'll come to that in a moment. But the watch out and be in your guard, the watch out, that part of the warning, you might say is a, is a, a passive part of the warning. So, you know, the, the watchtower, you're looking out and making sure no enemy's coming. But the be on your guard has more of a positive action sense to it. So, for example, one of our enemies in our mouths is tooth decay. So you might just have the watch out, check out your teeth to see if there's any decay coming. But we don't just have that passive approach, do we, when it comes to tooth decay as an enemy in your mouth. No, you have a positive action to watch out, as in, I hope, you clean your teeth twice a day to guard against that danger. Or you think of in Australia, we're prone to skin cancer. We don't just watch out and look out for marks or signs on our skin. What you actually do is take the positive action to guard against that danger and slip, slop, slap. That's probably showing my age. Putting on sunscreen, putting on a hat and so forth. That was how we were told to do it. But you watch out and you be on your guard. It's the same with our hearts. If we've come to Jesus as our treasure... We don't want our hearts to be taken away from Jesus as our treasure. So we watch out for the enemies that are coming our way, the temptations that are coming our way from the world, from our own sinful nature, from Satan himself. But more than that, we are to be on our guard to fight against the enemy. So we we set up disciplines Rhythms, routines, habits in our life, like reading the Bible once or twice a day. So we're equipped. We have the sword to fight against the enemy that comes. We're not just passive. We take positive action to build ourselves strength in God's word that we might use that against the enemy when it comes our way. Are you watching out? And being on your guard against the enemies that face us and the temptations. Do you consider greed as something that your heart's vulnerable that could take your heart away from Jesus as the ultimate treasure? If you don't, you should because Jesus is making this warning to everyone. Watch out, this is a danger for all of us. I think particularly for us, we have plenty and we are able to get more and more and more so we are very much vulnerable and in danger of these things. Where are you particularly uh, vulnerable to greed in your life? I mean, for me, it's obvious as one particular area for me as a cyclist is in getting more cycling gear, particularly bikes. And I don't know if you know the formula for how many bikes you should have if you're a cyclist. The formula is N plus 1, N being the current number of bikes you have. 
And so based on that formula and then getting on my bike, which is a little bit older, and joining with my mates who seem to have, or one of them seems to have a new bike every second month, I'm very vulnerable to greed in a very legitimate and serious way. And I try and have maybe helpful expressions of that, of maybe just not buying a whole bike, but extra pieces of equipment that I really don't need. I mean, that is maybe one area for me. And I can tell you there's way more areas where I'm vulnerable to want more and better and the latest. What about for you? Do you know your heart so much that, yes, straight off the top of your head, you could say, yes, this is where I'm vulnerable? And part of your guarding your heart mechanism you might set up is actually sharing that with a friend and part of protection is sharing that with them so they might occasionally ask you or when they spot you expressing that greed in that way they might confront you and challenge you remind you of the warning of Jesus watch out be on your guard there's a principle that comes isn't there Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. There's a principle, you know, it's a bit like the NAB ad. There's a principle we all agree with. Of course, our life is not defined by, in essence, isn't summed up in all of our stuff. The measure of our life isn't measured by how much cash cash or assets we have and whether we're accumulating them more and more and more. Like, we all agree with that. But are we actually living out that principle so it looks like we believe that practically? Would our budget and our bank accounts indicate clearly that we believe that? That's the principle which undermines the very crude statement that he who dies with the most toys wins. There's the crude way of putting the opposite. Jesus is saying that is just not true. So we must not find our security and significance caught up in our possessions. But I think from what Jesus is saying, our security and significance is tightly tied up in our possessions more than we'd like to think. I think somehow, as we think about ourselves, our significance and or our security can easily be caught up in the acquisitions that we've made, the insurance we have, the assets we have, even not for now, but certainly for the future. And to drive home his point, Jesus tells this parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones 
and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, Self, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy self, yourself. It's a bit of a confronting story, isn't it? Whereas we're actually entering into the mind of this man who's having a conversation with himself. I think that may be the problem right there. But notice the five mys. My grain, my goods. And three more. And the eyes, the six eyes. I this, I this, I this. Very self-absorbed, very self-focused. But let's think about the story because it starts with this man having a bit of a windfall. His land's been very productive. He's been successful. And look, absolutely no problem with that. Jesus is making an observation. That's okay. That's good. There's success. He's been productive. Nothing against the fact, and he's not being condemned by the fact that he, he's been productive. He has success. He's had a windfall. Obviously nothing wrong with then having a thoughtful conversation to himself about what he will do with that. There's wisdom in that. You'd have to say we're thinking, well, he's doing a great job at the moment. You'd have to think, we'd be thinking, well, if I was, I was that lucky <laughs> that I could have such a windfall, that I could be so successful that I didn't have to use what came, but I could put it somewhere for later on. I mean, isn't that the Aussie dream? Don't we work so that we can retire, eat, drink, be merry? Yeah, I think that is the Aussie dream. If only we could be in this guy's shoes, actually. And we do exactly the same. In wisdom, we'd put it away for later, especially if we could retire early. That's all our dreams, to retire early so we don't have to work. This is what's happened for this guy. Wow, if only we could be him at this point. Seems like it's wisdom. You've got barns that aren't big enough. Knock those ones down and build bigger ones. Invest somewhere where the investment's going to really pay dividends. I mean, that makes sense at this point. But it is interesting when he says, take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Because he doesn't quite finish it, does he? Because the fuller saying is, for tomorrow you die. And how does the story end? Well, we'll come to that. But this man focused on himself. He never saw beyond himself. He never saw beyond this world. Success for him, and so is a danger for all of us, can lead to the slippery slope of self-indulgence. So his problem, as we'll see, wasn't his surplus. His problem was his greed that came from his heart that dealt with the surplus. See, the farmer with his surplus crops doesn't ask the question, do I really need it? Or who else could use it? Or how I could donate it? 
particularly to those who are poor, which if you read the later part of this chapter, you will see that would be what he should have thought. Ambrose, who was a famous Christian thinker in the 4th century, said about this man, this guy didn't need to build new barns. He already had lots of storage available in the mouths of the poor. See, the only question this rich fool has got is what he can do with it for himself. How can I store all my grain and my goods for myself? He had an opportunity, but because of his preoccupation with himself and his perspective on life, which was just limited to now, he made a presumption. And it was very presumptuous, as we'll see in the punchline that comes next. Jesus says, verse 20, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Well, they won't be yours. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's a full-on punchline, isn't it? It, Many of us know God and know God well, but I think even for us it's confronting to think God would say, you fool. And what's foolish? What's being foolish Foolish is living life and thinking about life not in terms of the presenting realities or even eternity, which is the most and the biggest and most important reality, but thinking about life just in terms of your reality and yourself. And so that's what this man did. He may not have finished the phrase, for tomorrow you die, but God certainly does. And it's not waiting till tomorrow, it's tonight. You fool. You've lived life completely ignoring God. Completely ignoring the realities that life goes on beyond this life. And is more than just life now. You've completely not given a thought to God himself. You fool, God says to him. To focus on possessions with no consideration of spiritual things. Of course, God himself is a devastating long-term mistake. Long-term, that's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? Eternal. A forever, ever, ever more mistake. Does your life show that you are so focused on life and your possessions now that you have no consideration of spiritual things, God himself and eternity. If it is, that's a devastating mistake with devastating consequences. What is your life's first priority? 
yourself or God. Treasuring up stuff or planning for an eternal destiny. Do you live your life and consider your possessions and your surplus and all you have in light of giving an account before God for your life? This very night, your life is demanded of you. The demand has a sense of taking back something that doesn't belong to you. Your life's been entrusted to you by God. And one day, God, when you face him, will call you to give an account for that life and how you've lived it. The Bible college principal where I went to Bible college, when he was teaching us how to teach the Bible, he would talk about what he called the impossible application. The impossible application is that you, if you read this passage, it's impossible that you can go and think, you can live life this way. So as you read this passage, the impossible application is that you can go and live life like the rich fool and have an attitude to your possessions for yourself, oblivious to God, and think it'll have no consequences. But what he used to say in follow-up to teaching that principle was that most people all the time are living the impossible application. (laughs) So Jesus says you can't serve two masters, love one or hate the other, most of us are thinking, no, no, I reckon I can pull that off. <laughs> Foot in both camps, no problem. Yeah, what, this, what this parable says is, no. You might think that. You might live like that. Now, before tonight, for the rest of your life, but one day you'll have to confront God and that won't be the reality. It'll be exposed, your heart Shining your life and your actions, your words, your bank account, your budget, your spending will reveal whether you've been rich towards God or rich towards yourself. Plain and simple. This is not a hard teaching of Jesus in terms of hard to understand. It's hard in the sense of living it out. The danger is is whether our possessions... We're holding or whether they're holding us. Whether our possessions, we possess them or whether they're possessing us. There's a way of assessing it. And if you wanted to do a little bit of a diagnostic test of yourself, go home today, consider something, and just to see whether something's got a hold of you or not, just pick one random thing that you own. Give it away. That'll be a sure sign whether it's got a hold of you or not. Maybe even something substantial. It's confronting in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, there's this guy called Barnabas. He owns a field. And he sells that field and brings the proceeds to the foot of the apostles. 
Now, it's highly likely that in that time and that place, for that man, who was a rich man, that could have been his, is it right to say, his nest egg. What he was saving up for retirement. All his super and his assets associated with that, he sold in a moment to give to the work of the gospel. Wow. Radical. And it's interesting, as the book of Acts unfolds, it's because of the radical, distinct lives of the, lives of the Christians, what was the powerful force, one of them, and the persecution that followed, that caused the church to flourish and the gospel to go on like an unstoppable force. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Why is that? Because it gives such a picture of the gospel that is the trust of Jesus and God that he'll provide everything, that you can give away everything for the sake of eternity and other people's eternal destiny and well-being because you've got all the treasure you need. Maybe not now, but you've got God who'll provide all you need and certainly for eternity. That's what the second part of the chapter says. It spells out how you can be rich towards God. But first things first, you might be here and not a regular to church and you might be thinking, oh, kind of predictable that I would come and you'd start asking me for money. I mean, that's what churches do. And if that's you, I'm sorry, that's the reality because this, well, in one sense, it's not the first things first, but it's interesting Jesus is talking about these things in front of thousands of people. So obviously it's very important. And the first things first is that his disciples know him. There's a prior relationship. Getting to know him as their ultimate treasure and the one whose their eternal destiny is caught up with so that he can make calls upon their life as they are following him in response to knowing him. And for us, summed up in this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's the first things first. Jesus can call us to live for him and sit loosely with our possessions and our surplus because we know we're already rich in him. And he's, he's modelled the pattern of that response by being rich, becoming poor, so we might have relationship with him. Leaving heaven, coming to earth, dying the death we deserve so that his bank account of a right, perfect standing with the Father might be transferred to our bank account as a long-term eternal investment. And so we know that treasure and so Jesus can call us to anything. Certainly can call us to sit loosely with our possessions and not want it more and more and more because we've got all we need for eternity. And so if you're here and you haven't grasped or had the opportunity to hear why Jesus can call you to that here that it's because in Jesus when you meet him know what he's done for you and have your eternal destiny sorted out and secure you will do anything in response to what he's done for you 
So I call you to consider Jesus more than that. More than just think about him. Meet him. Grasp what he's done for you. Give, his, give your life in rightful response to him having given his life to you. For us, as we consider how rich we are in Jesus and the warning from Jesus to watch out, be on our guard. The call for us is not just to be passive, but today, if we're not already, take positive action to guard our hearts. Take, take a moment of not self-justification in terms of your possessions, how you're using them and getting more and more, but of self-examination. Maybe unlock and open up the conversation you have in your head and invite someone else into that conversation. God's word in itself, a friend you trust, to consider whether your life is shaped by life rich towards God or rich towards yourself. It might actually mean investing in somebody else or doing that more and more because as you do that more and more and more you'll experience the joy that comes with that more and more and more as a greater blessing than the accumulation of more and more things it might actually mean changing the money that goes out of your bank account for monthly luxury items Maybe stopping one of those and directing them somewhere else so you know your life's set up and your things are going away from you, away from you, away from you, towards others. Those who are poor, the work of the gospel. It may mean in terms of you might be actually greedy with your time. It might actually be a conscious decision to start in light of what God's done for you and Jesus to start giving away some time more and more and more. Maybe, maybe God might call you to give a substantial amount, if not the whole of your nest egg away for the sake of you guarding your heart that you might thrust yourself upon God and his goodness to you. It actually might mean even a radical step of saying, actually, I'm going to give away my career. Give myself to the work of God and the work of the gospel. Uproot. Know what it's like to give away all your security and significance that's caught up in tangible things and thrust yourself upon God. It might mean giving up a day a week, a few hours a week of work so that you stop accumulating and give yourself to something else. We're going to sing a song in a moment that's called Jesus is Better. And it's only when you get the fact that Jesus is better that any of this will make 
any sense to you. It only will make sense to you when you see Jesus is the greatest treasure and that through him you can become rich if you haven't already and that he's better than riches. So as the muse has come up, let's take a moment just to consider ourselves before God. Switching off our defence lawyer, which always talks to us about self-justification, and think about a little bit of self-examination, hearing God speak to us. Let's do that for a moment and then we'll sing.